0: This is Base Layer brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto.
1: Welcome back. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer with Jamie Burke, the founder and CEO of Outlier Ventures. This was a very deep and great conversation. Outlier is a firm out there that does advisory and also does investment in early stage companies. They have a lot of things that they do, which I really love. Um, They talk about uh, a focus on venture as a stack and going beyond the cloud. And they also have developed this thesis called the Convergence Stack, a set of privacy-protecting peer-to-peer and open-source technologies that, we de- that will decentralize the cloud and unbundle the internet platforms. They go through a deep taxonomy, which has been something that has been really needed in this space. And so they talk about everything from the, the hardware and the application layer to the query level and beyond. And they give examples of who is doing what there. And I think that's so important. They also do a lot of research, and they released a report about what's happening in terms of funding of different projects, which I thought was super interesting. And we actually went pretty deep on some different levels of conversation. Some people may like it, some people may not like it, Uh, but I thought it was important because we talked about beyond Bitcoin that there is a world out there that think it's just Bitcoin, and then that's it. And then there is a world that says, "Okay, Bitcoin is an amazing." technological innovation and that it is incredibly important and it can obviously do a lot of good things for economies and for society. But aside from that, if you go beyond Bitcoin and you look at some of the underpinning technology of distributed decentralized systems, that you can do some amazing things with them. And we've seen that play out with Ethereum, with smart contracts and with other protocols that are iterating around that. We've seen Things like Beam and Mimblewimble that are providing privacy and also working on scalability. There are things beyond Bitcoin. And if we just shut it off and just focus on Bitcoin, that we might be missing some greater things to do in terms of a distributed kind of Web 3.0. Gets a little deep, gets a little philosophical. Um, And again, as I said, there are some people who are not going to like that conversation, and I understand. But I think it was a great conversation to have. So remember nothing on Base Layer is investment advice, so please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear the conversation with Jamie. Enjoy.
0: This is David and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Jamie Burke from Outlier Ventures with us today. Jamie, how are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. So I've gotten to know Jamie, and I've gotten to know the Outlier team for the last year or so, and I am keenly interested in what they're doing. So they advise, invest, and support the development of technologies for an open data economy. And so they have some really interesting things that they have thought about over there. Um, they think of you know the space as venture as a stack, and they think about the cloud a lot. They also have this thesis about what they call the convergence stack, which we're going to talk about. But before we get too deep into that, Jamie, if you could give us a little bit of a background about yourself and about Outlier, and then we'll go into lots of different questions and figure out what your special sauce is. Sure.
2: So um, Outlier is uh, about just over five years old. Uh, we were Europe's first dedicated blockchain investor, um, maybe one of the first in the world. And um, as you say, over that time, we've kind of evolved our thesis and beyond just looking at blockchain in isolation, but uh, in something we call convergence and in particular, convergence stacks. So I guess we'll we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, My background prior to Outlier was um an angel investor and prior to that uh, i worked in digital innovation change management i had a firm agreed grew to about 100 people um working with blue chip organizations on um digital transformation change management often actually not much change happening but lots of thinking about it and that was okay they paid us um, and Prior to that, uh, I originally started out working in kind of digital communications uh, during the whole Web 2 cycle, so originally at WPP.
0: And so one of the things that we love to do on the show is get away from the kind of the when Bitcoin moment, as many people have probably heard me say time and time again, I'm not necessarily interested in the date, but in terms of the the what and the why. So I imagine at some point in time, you read the Bitcoin white paper or you found yourself, you know, looking into blockchains and you had the epiphany that many of us have and some people are starting to have recently. And so what about the underlying technology? And we'll talk obviously about the convergence stack and some of the other thesis that you have there. But what about the underlying technology at that point in time? What 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 did it for you? What said, okay, I'm doing all these other things, but now I'm going to shift. I'm going to focus all of my time and energy professionally to do this. What what about that underlying technology? What about the features? What feature really kind of sold it to you?
2: Well, you know, I, I think I originally came across Bitcoin because I had a both a general and then specific interest in peer-to-peer generally. So um you know having a communications background and looking at what had happened um with web two and what that did with media. And the idea that we would begin to have more peer-to-peer communications—that was kind of naturally part of the way that I looked at the world, um, and I guess my DNA. And then, when I moved out of just communications to look at you know, digital innovation and transformation more broadly, um, I began to see how lots of different industries approach and tackle new digital technologies innovations at that point primarily led by the web and how they were transforming or disrupting their business and um so so i i kind of when i I, th- I think it was at the point i was looking at making investments so this is when i was an angel investor and i was looking at peer-to-peer lending platform um and i began to kind of look at a little bit more depth about what technologies might enable that kind of concept that business model like tr- truly peer-to-peer um, lending and um, that kind of led me to bitcoin and intellectually was very stimulated by the concept of a distributed ledger the idea of digital scarcity obviously that was the thing that the web broke um, was the idea that as soon as something became digital, as soon as it touched the web, it, it kind of lost value because it could be copied and mm. um, and and shared innumerable times and, and seeing what that did to various industries. Um, so so kind of seeing the idea of digital scarcity, um, how that could be owned and transferred across a, a, a ledger, a distributed ledger that wasn't centrally controlled, having Having worked in a number of different industries, I kind of immediately saw that that was a powerful concept and you know potentially represented a, a new paradigm. So, so I was always interested in you know the specific use case of, of Bitcoin, but I guess my imagination was an immediately much broader than that because um, having worked with different industries and, and, and saw how they approached digital innovation, it it was obvious to me that some industries would never touch Bitcoin um, or certain use cases it just wouldn't be applicable to. um, But the kind of innovations that underpinned it um, would be. And so, you know, I was always a a big believer that there would be, you know, multiple instances of um, distributed ledger technology and, and digital assets. And then, of course, you know, Ethereum, came along and expanded that concept, introducing the idea you could have smart contracts. Um, and that that kind of, as you start to kind of piece all those things together, um, that looked like a very powerful toolkit that could be applied to almost an infinite number of use cases or industries. And that kind of really set me off on the journey. I um, kind of very quickly became obsessed about all all these different applications and started to go to what what meetups were available so that was pre pre ethereum um i think i went to the first bitcoin conference in in london in canary wharf and was really impressed by the kind of caliber of people that it had attracted but also kind of aware that um i wasn't necessarily part of that crowd i mean for starters i wasn't kind of like a an ultra libertarian um, mm. and I was probably one of the kind of more commercial people in the room. And so I kind of just kept kept quiet and at the back and observed and would go to these meetups and increasingly became convinced that the industry probably needed more people like me who might help the technology kind of cross the chasm and, and, and bridge into real real
0: world adoption. I agree. And uh, I think one of the running narratives that we've had on the show is that people like yourself and others coming from traditional finance or coming from more business development and building businesses that have crossed into this world are necessary uh, because they they know that there's a path. They know that there's a roadmap. Um, Some may not necessarily like it, the ones that have been in this thing since day one, because they had specific visions and they had specific endeavors. But if this is to get to the entire world's population and to really make a difference and to change society and change economics, we need people like Jamie, obviously, who have the experience to really bring these things to fruition. So I applaud you for that. So moving to the philosophy of Outlier. So there's a focus on venture as a stack. I want you to explain what that means. And then going beyond the cloud. So if you could discuss those two philosophies of OV, that would be great.
2: Yeah. So probably a couple of years in um, to Outlier, I think at that point we'd spoken to over 1,200 blockchain startups from all around the world uh, with all kinds of crazy ideas. And, and like most startups, you know the, the large majority are pretty rubbish and uh, not likely to see the light of day. But you know they're all kind of conceptually saying, well okay we're going to apply um, the technology or a certain configuration of these innovations to a particular industry, part of the supply chain value chain and whatever. Um, and we became increasingly convinced of two things. The first thing was that whilst many of those use cases were conceptually possible, I mean you know, bear in mind this was kind of just as uh, ethereum was in its nascency um and you know you, you try to do anything with it and you you break it and they kind of my co-founder was a cto so from, from the very beginning we were getting applied learning we were playing with the technology um, in order to kind of get that first-hand experience of what could what could realistically be done today and how f- far away many of these use cases might be so we had an acute understanding of just how nascent this technology was um, and therefore how far away most of these use cases were and so the first thing we became convinced of was that there was a huge amount of infrastructure that would need to be built first before any of that was going to be possible and so um, you know we've always been very focused uh, the protocol layer, whatever you want to call it you know foundational infrastructure that is going to enable Which will comprise of a combination of technologies that is going to enable this kind of decentralized web or Web3 vision that that we all share. Um, Within that, we we began to see increasingly that there were technologists from other domains entering the blockchain space uh, to leverage its innovations and technologies to solve for problems. Within their own domain. So um, AI, IoT, and kind of big data. Um, So, you know, these were people like Trent um, at BigchainDB, originally Ascribe, then BigchainDB, and and more recently Ocean, Ocean Protocol, which we subsequently invested in, but also players like IOTA who were, you know, looking to um, solve for particular technical challenges within IoT and industrial IoT, the machine-to-machine economy. Um, so we, we kind of became convinced that what was most interesting was infrastructure um, that would enable that Web3 vision, but that Web3 increasingly would be a combination of DLT, IoT, and machine learning AI, um, And it was the convergence of these technologies where they would begin to kind of accelerate one another. Mm -hmm. So kind of our vision for that Web3 was not just decentralized, but uh, automated and increasingly autonomous. Um, And the users or the stakeholders of these systems weren't necessarily going to be people. So um, they were more likely going to be machines or you know bots uh, kind of digital agents or representatives that would carry out economic activity on our behalf and um you know that's not such a big leap when you think about what the internet even is today right. um, there are more devices connected to the internet than people half of all web traffic is from bots half of that is from what is class classified as um, malicious bots so you know the internet and how value is exchanged is all is already. A, you know, people are a shrinking component of this, um, and so and it was our belief that if you were able to center the individual and the individual's interest, the individual as a user um, and their interests at the center of that paradigm, rather than the platform um, owned by a, a corporation, then. We, people would become increasingly more comfortable in devolving economic activity and work to digital representatives because they could be sure that they're representing their interests. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we this was kind of our um, vision. We called it the convergence ecosystem. We wrote a paper on it probably three years ago now um, with what was our kind of third um, team member, Lawrence Lundy, his mm-hmm. our head of research. Um and we've kind of evolved that ever since, iteratively. It's kind of become the, the, the thesis through which we've invested. We, we've kind of seen it manifest in the world around us. Right. Um, and um, we've now kind of evolved that into what we call um, the Convergence stack. Mm-hmm. But, but at, at the kind of heart of the Convergence thesis was the idea, and we didn't necessarily, this wasn't immediately clear at the time, but you know, over the last two years, it, it's kind of evolved that what that represents as a paradigm shift is um, a move away from uh, the cloud platform model that dominates the web at the moment, where right. we have um, a handful of platforms um, that have achieved planetary scale through the cloud mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, infrastructure. And that's kind of given it economies of scale, um, where we've we've ended up with you know, platform monopolies that have become data monopolies that have become AI monopolies, and that's mm-hmm. kind of the ex- ultimate existential threat. Um, is that these platforms uh, have built up such an advantage through an AI advantage through uh, sheer volume of data that. Increasingly, whole industries are becoming reliant on them now for cloud AI solutions. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of the, the, that was the narrative. That's that was what we were speaking to.
0: Right. So I think people out there, everyday people, not technocrats, and that's a phrase I'm using more and more these days, because there are people like you and I in the space that have always spent thousands of hours trying to understand this technology and get very intimate with it. Um, but then there are people who just use their phone and they expect things to work. And they don't necessarily think about the the ones and zeros, the binary code. They don't think about the infrastructure behind that. They send an email and they just you know put the recipient's address in. They send it off and they don't realize that, that it's on a protocol. And that it's an interweaving kind of system of servers and relayers and all the other things that happen, you know, basically within light speed. Um, And so I think what we're seeing right now is that as we are looking into, you know, web 3.0 from one to two to three now, I think people are starting to have this awakening because 2.0, especially 1.0 have shown to have weaknesses where major conglomerates can start to own those stacks and then they can start to own our digital selves. They can provide us free access to you know systems like email and maps, et cetera, et cetera. But then in return for that, they get to mine all of our data. They get to know where we are. They get to understand our purchasing regimens and all the other things that happen. And so there is this period right now, and I think it's really interesting because I know that you're overseas in the UK about in that, you know, with GDPR, with this emphasis on privacy again, that things like that are starting to matriculate, that people and countries and sovereign regimes are starting to really kind of get back to privacy. And so with the Convergence Stack, the Convergence Stack is a set of privacy protecting peer to peer and open source technologies that will decentralize the cloud and unbundle the internet platforms. And so that is a major, as you as alluded to, that is a major kind of driver of the way that you guys think about the world and about how you invest and advise different projects in the world. So it goes from, and this, is, this can be found on Outlier's website, uh, we'll give you that at the end, but it goes from hardware to distribution, routing, verification, interfacing, and application. So if you could just kind of unbundle that, there are different pieces of that and kind of give us yes. the roadmap of how you guys have broken that down.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start at a macro level and I'll kind of work down to some of the specifics of the stack. So, um, you know, when we we talk about Web3, we call it Web3 or the decentralized web. What we're really saying is a peer-to-peer web. And, you know, obviously that was the original vision for the Internet and, and the web. Um, But because of some design choices, uh, largely driven by, you know, kind of political beliefs, primarily libertarian beliefs, we created these evolutionary niches for the platform monopoly to kind of emerge. And so, um, as you you say, increasingly now, uh, this is becoming part of the public consciousness that that is somehow... Be it anti-competitive, be it Um, intrusive—you know there are trade-offs to this. Like wonderful convenience that we've we've um, been given by by these platforms, Um, and I actually think it's really interesting what's going on with Libra. Libra has really become a a catalyst for regulators and industry to realize that. that it doesn't it doesn't end with the current state that there is there is kind of this continued overreach from these platforms to ever more data and the grab from from uh, Libra's payments data and, and to couple that with the social graph and you know you're right to say in Europe I, I guess we've always been a bit more sensitive to to this in and and that's primarily because. Um, you know, these platforms are other, right? They're not born of Europe. They've come from Valley and they've hoovered up data. Um, they've kind of rode shot over privacy laws, anti-monopoly laws, um, and very little economic value has been gained from uh, w- within Europe, right? Very few taxes have been raised. So... Um, so there's been this natural sensitivity that I think just ha- hasn't necessarily been so present in in the US, and so you know ultimately um, the way that we think about the convergent stack is as an alternative internet, as an alternative web, um, and so you know as, as you said, the internet is more than just uh, a ledger, right? So if you think about the internet in terms of its various layers, um, going from hardware and hardware processing, hardware storage, and hardware networking, you know, you move upwards to the distribution layer where you're looking at storage, um, networking, you then got routing, scaling, databases, bridges, verification around authentication, query, compute, you then got middleware, APIs, you know, there's so many. Layers to the internet, and um, the idea of a ledger is just kind of one part of that. Which is why, for us, to look at DLT in isolation, not in the context of the internet itself, really kind of uh, misses the trick. It's kind of a disservice to the innovation. I agree. Um, and so, you know, we we believe that it's these kind of combinations of technologies that are ultimate centered around what we call a, a new open data economy. You know, the commodity in all of this is data and increasingly data to feed into cognitive solutions, machine learning, AI, whatever you want to call it, you know, the ability to automate and increasingly have more autonomous systems. So the question is, in the current paradigm where does that commodity, where does that data go? And currently it just gets fed into, as we said, a few cloud players, a few platforms. Um, and so you know it's our belief that the web three should be, hopefully will be an alternative where the value derived from that data can be more equitably distributed to the network rather mm-hmm. than to a handful of platforms. Right. Now that doesn't mean it will be distributed equally. Um because you know, these are markets and we exist in capitalist systems. Um, but at least it will it will kind of be uh, more widely distributed, it will be more equitable. And ultimately, um, the kind of playing field for a, an entirely new startup to uh, ultimately um, develop an AI competency, it will allow them to find the data that they need from the people that or organizations that have it to train an AI, um, to compete and you know the reason why that's so important is imagine if that doesn't happen um, you know we, we will literally I would say we're at an inflection point now where we are almost at the point of no return the advantages that these handful of AI companies have is or it's almost impossible for us to catch up and so that's why the objective for us at the stack is how can we begin to unlock these data lakes, this long tail of data across industries, across countries, across cities? Um, How can we open that up into a marketplace where we can allow for the commoditization of that data in a way that's privacy-preserving, to allow for markets to form, to allow for price discovery to happen, um, and to allow for that to be fed into alternative um ai systems again Mm -hmm. kind of centered
0: around the
2: user rather than
0: um a platform i have to say that i i really encourage people to review the the framework that jamie and the folks at outlier put out on their website again we'll give that at the end of the show but when i started talking to jamie and to the folks at outlier it makes so much sense at the end of the day if we just have bitcoin and that's it and we don't support it with infrastructure then it's basically just a digital asset that's being run on centralized servers uh if you really look at the stack you know things are still run on AWS you know things are run on Infura which is you know run on AWS things are still using you know IAM and they're using different relayers out there that are centralized and then so all of this basically is just, you know, there's been this narrative and there's been, there's been a conversation within the community for the last year and a half or so or two years. Are we really decentralized? And at the end of the day, if we do not support the things that Jamie and the folks at Outlier are, 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 are suggesting in terms of supporting the stack, the entire stack, from the hardware level all the way to the application layer in the middleware then we really don't have anything special, and so I completely agree with that. So, moving on, um, you guys have also started to do some really great research and stuff that I've actually been citing uh, publicly out there. So, I want to talk Thank a little us. bit. I want to talk a little bit about that, um, and then I also want to talk about some of the awards that you guys have went, you've won. That's you know I think you've also uh, you, you, there could be some fun there too. Um, So the research, despite several strong indicators in both network activity and user growth price, continues to lag well behind the highs of 17, 18. The ecosystem is more robust and becoming increasingly professionalized with several new institutional participants. So if you could discuss the institutionalization of this asset class and what are you seeing come about?
2: Uh, yeah, so I mean, we've we've been committed to uh, performing open research for our entire existence, and we've got a team of analysts that are kind of constantly tracking the space. I, I believe the particular thing you're referring to is the state of blockchain report, which mm-hmm. we put out quarterly. Um, I uh, I can happily say yeah, I have very little to do with, it, so I can't <laughs> claim much of the glory. Um, it comes from our uh, uh, analyst team and from our head of research uh, Lawrence Lundy but in particular a guy called Joel John who I've got to give a shout out to because he does great work um, but in effect what we've seen is whilst we've seen a kind of slowdown in venture capital flowing into the space compared to previous years or previous highs um, what we have seen a, a kind of very strong what we're calling on-chain indicators so You know, there is still a hangover from Crypto Winter. Um, you know, we were one of the first to publicly say that we felt a winter um, would happen and should happen, actually. Um uh I think it was kind of the first week of January we we published a post um uh, you know prior to kind of the, the crash um saying that the kind of levels that the asset class had reached were unsustainable and weren't correlated to, uh, you know, real, real world value or kind of technical traction. Um, and so that was unsustainable and actually it was kind of a c- clearing of the air. Um, and whilst it's been hard for much of the industry, um, it certainly made it a lot harder for projects to raise capital. Actually, what that's meant is is that only the, the really good projects have raised capital. And it's brought about kind of a more institutional mindset to um, how capital is raised, both in terms of the instruments raised. So equities, kind of, been back in vogue a little bit, rather than the SAs that were floating around, which didn't give rights to much. Um, And what we've seen is more money's been raised in the early venture stage. More money's been raised privately um, for longer periods um leading up to um token events. So we're kind of seeing more of a hybrid approach of kind of classic venture with equity um, and, and private capital raising from institutional investors. Um, and and then the kind of the token issuance happening at a later stage when there is kind of a, a test network or live network and where the, the token kind of can, can be actively used. Mm-hmm. So you know what? What that's meant is we're seeing more discipline, um, and hopefully, you know, projects that are going to be more more sustainable. We're seeing vesting and you know just sensible things um, that align um, founders and and teams to the long term viability of a network. Right. Um, so so that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, what we also saw was that a lot of the a lot of the capital, certainly in the beginning, kind of part of this year, chose to kind of pull down on later stage investments, so less riskier investments into kind of picture shovels, so exchanges and stuff like that, right. um, where there was a where there was a revenue generating business, um, and um, you know, really they wanted kind of growth capital. So a lot of the capital shifted there rather than um, the earlier stage stuff, mm-hmm. and you know I think we're starting to see a bit of a swing back now to some some earlier stage investing. I mean, just via uh, uh, the last couple of record month in terms of inbound, um, both in terms of volume and you know it's slightly tangible, but the, the quality is certainly relevance. to to convergence, Um, you know, if you kind of couple that with the on-chain indicators around network health and just managing the network health of a number of these networks in terms of, you know, wallets, um, new addresses being created and used, um, and kind of indicators of of, uh, network usage, and the signals are really positive. We right. would argue, actually, in in a lot of cases, the price is lagging um, a lot of the on-chain indicators, and so that's still a bit of a hangover. So, you know, I, I think there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of value out there. I kind of tweeted um, uh, recently, and this kind of speaks to your point around Bitcoin as well. There's still this kind of altcoin narrative, so it's been really interesting watching a lot of people who were very vocal uh, during the ICO mania um, and were kind of throwing their weight behind a number of um, uh, tokenized networks, they've kind of retreated back into Bitcoin maximalism because it's the safe bet, right? I mean, for me now, to champion Bitcoin as the ultimate, ultimate internet money or settlement layer um, or, or ledger requires neither creativity or intellect. It's kind of obvious. And I think with the congressional hearings that we've just been witnessing, I, I would say it's not only obvious, but it's it's potentially going mainstream. And so, um, so, you know, saying that your thesis is about Bitcoin and that everything else is a, a shitcoin or... Just even referring to everything in altcoin, I think it's a really unsophisticated way of looking at the market. Um, and there's two reasons for that. that the kind of to circle back to your, your previous point, that Bitcoin needs um, the, uh, kind of innovations in tokens to exist across the full internet stack. Because you know, the, if, if Bitcoin is internet money, if it is the ultimate settlement layer, then it just needs to be really good at that. I mean, its it success is its elegant simplicity. Um, you know, what it is optimized for to be the best in that, to earn its soundness um, over the last 10 years. Um, but, but that's just one part of the internet, right? And so, you know, if we think about what the internet is, and as I said, this kind of data economy, um, the representation of um, a digital assets as money is just one narrow use case. Mm-hmm. Um, there are many other use cases where the innovation of digital scarcity and you know, programmable digital assets can solve for the, um, as an incentive for the bootstrapping of networks, as a coordination mechanism um, to allow for incentive and disincentives to be hard-coded into a network. Um, to kind of coordinate that network for that for us to have surety, then that network operates um, uh, trustfully. Right. Um, that is a hugely powerful innovation, and to say that could only be used for the use of use case of money is, I, I kind of find it really regressive. Yep. Um, so, so I think the interesting thing is right now a lot of the attention has gone going back to Bitcoin. Back to Bitcoin maximalism, um, the kind of everything is being dismissed as an altcoin or a shitcoin, um, where actually there are some really valuable networks out there
1: mm-hmm.
2: that have really sound technology, really great teams, and that are massively underpriced. they like distressed assets.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, there are some networks out there that are worth you know three four million in totality, and they've got some great technology. That's right. Um, so, you know, for us, we see this as a huge financial opportunity because we believe we're pragmatic enough um, and we have a strong enough thesis where we can identify value, you know, long term value. We can identify networks that are underpriced. We can assess their technology. We can assess their token design. We can speak to their team. And we can we can impact the success of that network through our venture platform and all the kind of support that we give them Mm -hmm. um, in order that we can make them, you know, billion, multi-billion dollar networks. Right. Um,
0: Yeah. So I have to say that, you know, I didn't necessarily intend on this, but you are hitting on a lot of, and I think uh, I, I full and fair disclosure, I sent out a tweet this morning that kind of highlighted some of the things that Jamie is, is kind of talking about right now. Whereas, bitcoin was given to us in the white paper in 2008 and 2009 however if you really look at the the chronologically you know the the history the the taxonomy and the history of bitcoin that went over 40 years of cryptography and distributed system work academically uh, commercially and so all of those pieces weren't just bitcoin we were given iterations around Um, you know, Byzantine fault tolerance. We were given, you know, things around the early parts of zero knowledge proofs. We were given pieces of hash time locks. We were given pieces that were not just for Bitcoin. We were given pieces that have been used in other systems that can create things in addition to a transactional layer like Bitcoin, where we can have computational work, which is what we're talking about today. Is that the world, if we are just going to have Bitcoin, then you know. Well done, you know, congratulations, pat on the back. But there is more than just Bitcoin and there is more than, you know, what we can do with the technology. And I firmly agree with Jamie on that. While I know that some of the, the maximalists out there will disagree and they may not like what I'm saying, I'm sorry. It's it's the truth. If you really kind of open your eyes, Bitcoin is an amazing, amazing technology. We all love it. It all brought us into this world. Um, obviously, it can displace gold and displace a legacy asset that our kids and our, and our kids' kids will not really have an understanding of. And it will do an amazing job of, of store value. But there is more to this world than just computa- than just transactional and just kind of store value. There is computational things out there that can be fixed. And there's a lot more to do with the technology that have been iterated around for over 40 years. So um, I,
2: yeah. I, I, mean, I couldn't agree. I think it's really well said. I, I kind of add to that. So, you know, when people refer to everything other than Bitcoin as altcoins, for me, it's not. And of course, like with any, any startup ecosystem, there's lots of rubbish in there, right? You know, especially when the innovation is, you know, the ability to print uh, digital assets. Um, that's going to attract a, a, a lot of people. Um, and some of those are going to have bad bad intention. But um, to, to kind of dismiss uh, all other instances of digital scarcity and programmable digital assets as an alternative to Bitcoin fundamentally misunderstands what Bitcoin is and what the internet is. Um, So um, a a lot of the kind of mindset around Bitcoin and Bitcoin maximalists is, you know, they'll always kind of quote Gresham's law and the idea that, money is zero sum and, you know, they have to drive out bad money in order for Bitcoin and um, for Bitcoin to succeed. Um, and that, that might be true for the the specific instance of, of money of a digital you know, internet money. But, um, but innovation happening at all these other layers of the internet um, and, the application of of digital assets in many instances might not even use a ledger, right so these digital assets might might be being used without a ledger. sometimes they might be being used with a very specific ledger. but that doesn't mean that for them to be successful doesn't mean that Bitcoin can't be a trillion dollar asset um, as a consequence of it succeeding in a very narrow way, very right. foundational but narrow way. and actually the success of digital assets. Will drive the success of Bitcoin because if Bitcoin is, you know, the dollar reserve, if it is the ultimate settlement layer, um, then various games can be played out on other ledgers or using other digital assets, and ultimately the settlement can happen um, on Bitcoin, uh, on the Bitcoin network using Bitcoin. So, it is that they're not opposing, and so I, like there's a real kind of Peeve for me that people can't see that many of the use cases that we're investing anyway at Outlier um, in no way undermine Bitcoin. We hold Bitcoin. If you look at our stack, we uh, we we have Bitcoin as a foundational part of that stack, and we believe that um, other tokens are going to be complementary to it. And I think you know the, the biggest way. The biggest barrier this circles back to this idea about people um, rather than machines. People think the success of cryptocurrency is um, either a cryptocurrency or cryptocurrency generally are people willingly and knowingly adopting a digital money and somehow being able to make a conversion at a point of transaction or a point of sale. Um, and as, as you alluded to, the reality is um, crypto assets will function much in the way as many other internet protocols, invisibly. You just Mm -hmm. won't be aware of it. You won't be doing a conversion. Um, Actually, it will be machines making microtransactions with other machines, with digital agents carrying out economic work and activity invisibly, optimizing the world around us. Um, and, And people will have very little to do with it. So what that means is, you think about the difference between people so people adopting digital money absolutely is a friction point people adopting any new money is a friction point um but machines adopting you know new forms of digital assets is no friction point at all um and most interestingly you know if you speak to an economist there the the main pain that they have in trying to design for um, any kind of fiscal monetary policy changes are that people are irrational, they are illogical um, very often, but machines aren't. You know, Machines right. can be programmed with rules and they will respond to incentives and disincentives in a very rational way. And therefore, the idea of being able to program digital money or digital assets with incentives and disincentives for machines to follow mean that, in theory, you can end up with very orderly systems that with lots of economic work carried out behind the scenes.
1: And mm-hmm.
2: from that perspective, digital assets become very important coordination mechanisms. And to kind of just cl- close off that thought, um, you know, we, we've got a number of investments in things that kind of enable this vision. Fetch.ai is, is, is one of them made up of some of the early deep team. teams. And effectively, they built a system that allows for autonomous economic agents. Um, Those agents could represent a person, a device, an IoT device, a data feed, an API, a group of people, a group of devices, a group of vehicles, any possible configuration you can think of. Um, And they can try to extract as much value for that owner or that asset as possible in an open market. And they collectively form markets without. A central controller without a human, um, bottom up, and that sounds like science fiction, but they've they've actually um, built it, and it's um, it's kind of genesis is um, rooted in massively multiplayer um, gaming systems environments, which is the background of many of the people of Fetch, as it was the background of many people from DeepMind, the AI company that um, Google bought, mm-hmm. and so you know the the, the vision with that is. If you think about the difference between the cycles, so you know, um, Web One was every developer and entrepreneur trying to come up with an e-commerce site to sell something that's never been sold on the internet before. Um, Web Two was um, every developer or entrepreneur trying to come up with a mobile app to you know allow for some kind of um, uh, kind of use case to exist that's never existed before. And I believe with Web3, uh, every uh, developer and entrepreneur will be coming up with agents um, to optimize the world around us in a way that it's not been optimized before
0: I I knew this was going to happen because I've spoken to you a few times before, and I've gotten to know you. And I knew this was going to be a conversation that I was not going to want to end. <laughs> but we all have things to do, and I'm uh, I'm respectful of your time. And this is a conversation that I definitely want to pick up with you again because it, it, it's it's something that's really important. And I think we all need to have these conversations, and we need to be respectful of each other's opinions and respectful of our our, our differences in those opinions, and I think with that, we will all prosper and we will all be able to innovate together. And I agree with so much of what you have said and what you guys are doing there. And so, getting to the top of the hour, um, you know, as everyone has known before. I like to kind of find out a little bit more about our guests on a personal level and to the areas I like to focus in on are, what are you reading? And that could be either crypto or non crypto related and what music you listen to. And I think I kind of already know some of that, but let's, let's hear some of the music you're listening to and also what you've been reading.
2: Let, let's start with the books. Cause that's kind of probably what I'm doing more. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I've usually got se- seven books, um, uh, that I'm reading at any one time kind of next to my, my bed. So um, one is uh, Surveillance Capitalism, um, which I'd highly recommend uh, your listeners to pick up and read. It, it, it's the size of the Bible. It's you know, a, big, <laughs> a big lump of book. Um, um, but it really gives us a vernacular to understand uh, Googlenomics, the cloud um, platform paradigm, um, and how that's becoming increasingly intrusive on our, um, on our privacy. So that, that's the first one and um, really informs you know, much of the stuff that we've been talking about. I'm also reading a book called The Stack. It's actually not about the convergent stack. It's about, um, it's about uh, a kind of an, another configuration of the stack, again, rooted in the cloud and the platform, but it actually looks at multiple layers, including uh, the earth layer um, written by a guy called Breton. Um, and the idea is, is that, you know, what is the, what is the, um, the economic uh, as well as kind of um, ecological cost of the cloud platform? You know, the amount of energy we're consuming to store huge amounts of data, big data lakes that nobody's using. Um so it's kind of a really fascinating read. It's, it's kind of given me an, a, a new or kind of an added depth to think about Web 3, which is, um, you know, how does a new web fit into the other constraints that we're kind of finally getting around to realize exist in the world, that we don't have infinite, currently we don't have infinite energy, and um, we don't have infinite minerals and, and chips and stuff to kind of build the stuff to extract from the Earth. Um, I'm reading um, some history on uh, Thomas Gresham, so that's why I was kind of referencing Gresham's Law a little bit. Um, and, God, I, I can't even remember the other ones. There's about <laughs> three or three or four other ones. Um, music, to be honest with you, I'm hardly listening to music at all. I'm largely listening to, I mean, I live in the UK. We've got BBC Radio 4, um, which is pr- pretty much kind of factual radio um oh. and kind of have some great great documentaries on there and for shame kind of, jamie
0: radio one come on
2: yeah i um to be honest with you, i couldn't even tell you what's in the charts at the moment and um <laughs> so i'm kind of just trying to suck up as much information as as possible but if i were kind of you know if i if i were going to listen to um if i were going to put music on it would be kind of curtis mayfield and, and stuff like that so soul funk is kind of my yep my thing
0: by the way if anyone in the uk is listening and if pete tongue is a bitcoiner or is into digital <laughs> assets and crypto happy to have him on the show um big fan pete i have been for over 30 years and so you know um I definitely want to, I want to make sure that listeners also know where to find, you know, the research that you guys have done and also where the convergence stack is. So feel free to let them know where to go.
2: Sure. So um, our website is outliveventures.io and I mean, we've, we've got five years worth of research and thinking on there. loads of research papers. Um, uh, so hopefully people will find that really valuable Um, You can follow uh, me on Twitter, uh, Jamie247, 247 the number. Um, And obviously on LinkedIn, um, I kind of find there's a a lot more constructive professional conversation and discourse on LinkedIn than there is on Twitter these days.
0: Yes, Twitter can get a little tribal these days. Um, But we love everyone on Twitter. Everyone has great ideas. Let's just all work together. Um, And, uh, you know, I think, as I said before, the work that Jamie and the folks at Outlier have been doing is something that really touches near and dear to my heart. I agree with what they're working on in terms of the Convergence stack and in terms of supporting the growth of this ecosystem. And so, Jamie, it was a real pleasure having you on. Looking forward to you know, catching up with you in a few months to see how things yeah. are progressing there. And again, this was Jamie Burke at Outlier Ventures. Check him out on their website. Reach out to Jamie and learn more. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Base Layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself David Nage at David J N seventy nine. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.